Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to the AUKUS Amplified, the podcast series brought to you by the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. This is one of seven podcasts highlighting a few of the many outstanding papers presented at the 30th annual meeting of our association. My name is Stefano Bini. I'm on faculty at UCSF, and I am the chair of the Digital Health and Social Media Committee at AUKUS. I'll be joined as co-host by Dr. Michael Ast from Hospital for Special Surgery, who's a member of our committee. Dr. Ast, welcome. Thanks so much, and as always, thanks for having me. Awesome. The title of the paper we're highlighting today is Minimally Clinically Important Differences in Robotic-Assisted Total Knee Arthroplasty versus Standard Manual Total Knee Arthroplasty. And we're delighted that Dr. Jonathan Shaw and Dr. Jason Davis are joining us today. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks so much. And we do really appreciate you guys joining us tonight. So Dr. Shaw, you're the lead author on the paper. Tell our audience a little bit about why you were interested in this topic. Sort of what inspired you to take a look at this? Well, I mean, so Dr. Davis and I have done quite a few database type cohort studies together. And Dr. Davis will explain he's a pretty early adopted to robotic total knee arthroplasty. So this was one of those chances and opportunities as a kid, you love robots. And this was my opportunity to finally kind of get my hands into um, working on the thing that interested me the most. So Jason, you're the senior author on this paper. How does this topic relate to the rest of your clinical practice and maybe some of your other research interests? Certainly always looking to improve outcomes, rapid recovery, outpatient surgery, you know, I think robotics really kind of meshes with that general theme. We can limit some of this variability. Could we see some improvements in our surgical techniques? Certainly the things over the last decade, minimally invasive surgery, some of the different approaches have been hit or miss, but in my view, this seems to be one of the more groundbreaking avenues for continued improvement. The angle, particularly with the short-term follow-up, the first post-op visit was a quick look at some of the soft tissue sparing benefits that might be adapted from this haptic technology. And certainly that 20% of patients that do struggle to be satisfied with their outcome down the line. So what we were trying to get an early glimpse at as a six month checkpoint. Again, this is very early. This is just a two year cohort. So a lot more to do on this topic. But I think, you know, a lot of us in the research space around replacements are hoping, right? There's genuine hope that eliminating some of the variability about utilizing some of these technologies. It's why you see the adoption. So I think it's really great. I think your points are really relevant. So let's get into the paper a little bit now. Jonathan, if you wouldn't mind, explain a little bit about the methods about how you did it and maybe how you chose your primary endpoints. Yeah, so this uh, prospectively collected uh, patient reported outcome paper. We wanted to look at a two-year period that we've been collecting this data and really, we just wanted to look at, is there an early minimal clinically important difference when it comes to patient reported outcomes and comparing robotic total knees and manual total knees? 
And I think it's great you guys looked at clinically important difference because there's a lot of research out there done sort of with statistical significance that ignores sometimes it being clinically irrelevant. So I think that's really great. Would you mind telling us sort of where your numbers came from? Are these patients all from one surgeon, a couple of surgeons? How'd you do it? This is a multi-surgeon database or, or cohort. So it comes from three fellowship trained reconstruction surgeons all at the same hospital. Most of the robotic data that we have does center on one surgeon's experience though. Great. And so tell us a little bit about what you found, kind of what did you see when you compared the results of robotic knees versus non-robotic knees? So we looked at two patient-reported outcome measurements. One was KUS-JR or KUS-Junior, and one was Promise Global Health, which basically is a newer patient-reported outcome system that looks at the total health in a patient. When it comes to early outcomes, we determined that in our multivariant analysis, there was no difference between the two and four week period of early outcomes between any of the measurements, as well as the intermediate period, which was the six to eight month. So I know you're still in your training, but I think you got some experience and some understanding as you were writing through this paper. What do you think would be your sort of conclusions that you draw, not just what you actually wrote, but what do you think you learned from this study? I think the main thing that I learned is just that When it comes to these patient-reported outcome systems, there are so many variables that have to go into how a patient perceives how their knee is doing postoperatively. And some come from their preoperative state to their intraoperative state to what they're doing postoperatively. And all of these variables have to be incorporated into this type of analysis in order to get any, you know, real conclusion whether robotic total knees versus manual total knees can be distinguished or any difference can be distinguished. So Jason, let me ask you a question. You seem like a robotic believer, at least to a certain extent. I know you're doing the research, which is great to see people actually trying to get the data, but what do you think about these findings and sort of how do you look at robotics yesterday, today, tomorrow in our field? Certainly it's a rapidly evolving concept Residents are always interested in this, and John approached me with the question is, how do we show this is better? And certainly, robotics has been shown, much like the prior generation nav- navigation, to allow us to hit a target where we want to, but the patient-reported outcomes aspect is really what insurers and those naysayers want to see. And certainly, it takes quite some time to see that. This was just going to be a very early look at what we saw right out of the gate with us. And do you think sort of, I guess, either the findings of this study or maybe just your personal experience of what you're seeing in your clinic. Where do you see this going next year, five years, 10 years? Do you think robotics is going to keep growing? Do you think it's going to kind of plateau off at some point? Or do you think we're going to see what we did with navigation where there's going to be a couple of people that were big navigation users and it never really took off to the level that we've seen like in Australia and some other parts of the world? I certainly think this has the potential to be much more than navigation 2.0. I think with navigation, we all learned the alignment can be better, the reproducibility could be better, and maybe in certain cohorts, high demand patients under 65, we might be seeing a survivorship benefit in several studies. Really the patient reported outcomes and more of those midterm, long-term data is what didn't settle out. Robotics certainly allows us to get that execution error down 
And that was really the big concern with navigation is you're measuring with laser, but cutting with a chainsaw is what many people like to say. So you know, now we have tools, we need to analyze the results, figure out where these differences may occur and really go from there. One interesting piece that we found is the early post-op visit, the three-week post-op visit, the univariate analysis actually was trending towards favoring the manual needs. And we said that was strange because when we look specifically at mostly my patients and I did the bulk of the robotic cases, we did see an improvement in promise physical health, but we found the converse when we used the multi-surgeon cohort. So from this, this led us to believe that a lot of the moving parts, the multiple variables that encompass the surgery might be as important, if not more important than purely what tools you're using for surgery. Um, certainly promotes more questions maybe than answers in this robotics field. So Mike, the great line of questioning there for Jason and, and Jonathan. One of the things that always comes to mind is what does the robot actually do? Does it do better surgery or does it simply do more accurate surgery? How should that impact outcomes with something like a PROMS data set. John, what do you think from a resident standpoint? Do you do a better surgery with a robot? I think that my sample size as a resident currently may not be strong enough or big enough in order to make a conclusion on that. But I think there is, when in a resident standpoint, doing a manual total knee versus a robot total knee, the techniques and the learning curve for both of them are important because I don't think robotics is going anywhere in the future, but also to have the experience on both of them is a unique experience as a resident. Certainly as a teaching physician, I could tell you I sweat a lot less when I give John and his colleagues a saw. It does add that layer of consistency where it's with this system physically impossible to cut a ligament or artery, which you occasionally see uh, in most centers. It's true, therefore, sorry to interrupt, although so, so the soft tissue damage would be a short-term benefit, but long-term, if we're looking at long-term survivorship and one year out, two year out uh, outcomes, probably that's not going to influence the outcome as much as component positioning and accuracy. Would you agree with a statement that would say that robotic platforms enable us to do a better job hitting our target? And therefore, we don't have the variance in outcomes that we have seen from published papers on manual alignment. And by having less variance, we should be seeing a tighter variance on the outcomes as well, that basically we shouldn't have the outliers in the robotic. Maybe the mean doesn't change per se, but the standard deviation from that mean should be much narrower robotics. And I was wondering if you saw that. I think absolutely. I mean, that's what we see clinically, where you find numbers and patient reported outcomes to show that is a difficulty. As you mentioned, the higher demand patients, the mid-flexion instability, those soft features that we have a hard time reproducing from patient to patient, despite perfect x-rays, a system such as this really allows us to minimize some of those variations and analyze. For example, many of us have gone into adding a little bit of tibia varus on purpose. Manually, we would never think to do that. If you shoot for three degrees, maybe you're at six or seven. Now we can shoot for two to three degrees of varus, mix in a kinematic gap balancing type of alignment, a lot of variables can really be reproduced and analyzed much more academically than any small nuance change we do during our technical procedure. And do you find it leads to a little more of a sort of gap balancing philosophy for you, not only in your practice, but in your teaching, where you can quantify that type of a thought process? 
Absolutely. From a resident standpoint, they get great visuals with the system of seeing what happens when you rotate this implant this way. You know, I trained in Boston, so cruciate retaining was the only way to go. Certainly up where you're at, Mike, and Trevor's gradually coming to the dark side. PS proponents, I think <laughs> you get used to this, and it makes sense when you can easily reproduce that flexion gap so reproducibly. Why bother cutting a box? So I think you're going to see a lot of PS proponents gradually move over to the CR just because the balancing is so predictable. Then you can get into the nuances of higher level patient reported outcomes, much like the forgotten joint score person, I think we should be using something as Safano mentioned with less of a ceiling effect, you might see some of these cruciate retaining nuances. It's much like arguing PS versus CR data to this point has not been able to show any difference. The other argument we can make is that we're not dealing with 1980s implants anymore. And so the load capacity of the components off axis, the idea that it has to be perfect mechanical axis was based on data from a long time ago, may not be as relevant anymore. We're certainly not seeing a failure on knees that are put in more functional alignment. Nobody's ever published that. In fact, we're seeing lower revision rates in, in some of the registries. There were some variances also in the data that before we opened, Mike, you'd identified and you were talking with Jonathan about how some interesting trends in the series. What do you think about that? There were some sort of unusual findings. You know, robotic total ease actually took less time, even though potentially we were usually heard that they take longer. There was a little bit of a change in the ability to achieve MCID when starting at a higher functional status. Do you think that's just sort of data collection or do you think there's something real behind that? I think the length of surgery is, is definitely one of those things where it just shows that robotics doesn't necessarily have to affect the efficiency of an OR. Even in a teaching institute, Dr. Davis has been doing robotics for quite some time. And you can see that after that learning curve comes down, he has just as efficient of an OR as anybody else. I think we also did that subgroup analysis when it came to the patient reported outcomes. And many papers before us have shown that if a patient comes with a low preoperative patient reported outcome score, then they end up achieving MCID at a higher rate than someone who comes with a higher patient reported outcome score. And so it's important for papers to distinguish those two patient populations. Someone comes into the office and their knee is in really bad shape. When you change their alignment and you change their life like that, they're going to come back being like, holy cow. And those that still have bad tri or mental arthritis, but are at a higher performance score, they may not have that same difference, especially in early outcome scores. And so we distinguish that in our cohorts. So, you know, that's a really interesting finding and somewhat different than what we know. So Jason, what do you take from that sort of unique bit of data you guys found? I think John had an interesting angle of looking at these higher functioning patients. Those were always the difficult patients. If they're starting pretty low functioning, it's pretty low bar to set to get them functional and see an MCID. It's that higher demand, higher functioning patient. Historically, we would wait to do surgery on getting more aggressive in doing so. So his high preoperative performer group, greater than the mean of preoperative scores in the robotic series did seem to achieve an MCID rate similar to those achieving a low preoperative score. 
again, it's probably underpowered and that wasn't one of our primary outcome measures by any means. It was certainly an interesting way of looking at what might be a higher functioning, higher demand patient. Certainly what a lot of the robotic proponents uh, advocate for as a potential advantage. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you so much for participating with us. We really had a deep dive into the early data coming out of a high volume robotics practice and uh, intriguing that there may be some potential benefits that we already started to tease out. We discussed the role of the robot to improve our accuracy and minimize our variance, and we shouldn't expect more than that from these devices. And yet at the same time, we're seeing signs that the clinical outcomes may actually be better. They're certainly not worse. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway that it's really important to evaluate these new technologies to make sure we're getting data on this, to have people like Jonathan and Jason out there really gathering data, honest evaluations of their clinical outcomes, but also to start to figure out where are the nuances, maybe which prom should we be using? Should we be changing to different proms when trying to tease out these differences? And then to find what are those unique cohorts that might be those real game changers, right? Maybe it's the higher preoperative baseline function patient that benefits the most from this technology. I just think it's really interesting and I'm really happy we have people like Jason and Jonathan out there doing this research and helping us figure this out. Mike, thank you for that terrific summary. I'd like to give the last words up to Davis. There's always limitations with research. What are your thoughts about the principal limitations of this paper and maybe even working in robotic surgery literature research? Certainly we have a question we like to get an answer. And while we sometimes shudder looking at a single surgeon series and wonder is that applicable to the general population, in this study we tried casting a wider net with several surgeons encountered quite a bit of variability and probably has as much to do with some of these questions as purely robotics versus manual. Now, for example, the time benefit can't necessarily say robotics is quicker. Half my cases were cementless in that cohort, uh, but certainly it's not a detriment to the technology in a busy practice. And even preoperatively, we noticed the demographics were very similar among the cohorts. I do about 20% partial knees. When you take a lot of those patients out, might be looking at two different cohorts despite similar techniques among surgeons. So while you try to get some answers, sometimes you come across as many questions, realize we have a lot more work to do to sort this out. Perfect summary, Dr. Davis. With that, I'd like to close the podcast. Thank everyone for participating. Mike, Jason, Jonathan, thank you, gentlemen. And invite our audience to listen to our next podcast in this series. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.